Uh, it's so good to see you all. What's up, Fathom fam? Hope you're doing amazing uh, today. Uh, if you're a guest with us visiting, we don't make you do weird stuff like come up here and tell us your whole life story, but we do. Uh, we just want to tell you that we're thinking of you and praying for you today, that we've been praying of you, uh, praying for you before you ever arrived, knowing that God has prepared a family um, here for you and wherever you might find yourself landing in the body of Christ. We're just thankful you're here with us today. And uh, I'm also going to say hello to everybody watching it online. Uh, what's up, Fathom fam, uh, all over, and uh, we're thankful for that resource. How many of you guys ever been sick uh, out of town on vacation or something like that and able to tune in online? Anybody? Yeah, awesome. Some of y'all taking advantage of that resource, so we're thankful for you guys, praying for you as well today. Uh, man, excited to, to be here with you. Uh, excited coming up for the table event. How many of you guys have been to the table before? Ever been to the table event? Uh, it's, like a, it's like a big Thanksgiving brunch, and, and we're actually going to do it outside this year, which is just going to be amazing out in the big field, and uh, if it's like pristine weather, like 10 o'clock weather, you know, this time of year, it's just like the best. So that's going to be super exciting. Don't want you to miss that. You'll be seeing emails that can get you caught up. Make sure you sign up to bring something. It's just like pre-Thanksgiving. Everybody like, wish I wish I could have one of these every week. Like, that's me. So actually, I'm actually on a little bit of a diet right now to prepare myself for that day because I'm going all in on the table. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I hope you'll uh, be pl- uh, make plans to be there and invite friends and family out. It's just a great day to just uh, to be together and, and connect them with the church. So uh, my personal study time, uh, I won't go in, in detail about it, but it's always had a similar flow to it. it. It's been, I'll read a chapter of the Old Testament, a chapter of the New Testament, and I'll usually read a Psalm or a Proverb every day. And that's just kind of my morning flow uh, for me. But uh, lately, I've been in studying the Gospel of Luke, and um, I've read the Gospel of Luke many times. I've read it in, in its entirety in one sitting um, a couple of occasions. I've, I've done it um, just kind of a chapter at a time, like I said, many times. Um, but lately, I've been reading it at like the slowest pace a person could possibly read something, like, um, or, or at least close to it, when they're consistently reading it. And um, I, I've just been taking so much time. So several weeks ago, I was reading through Luke chapter 8, and, and it took me, like I said, all week to read through one chapter. Like my notes. I'm a slow reader, so that doesn't help anything. But I'm just taking like kind of bite-sized pieces every day to really consume what God wants to speak through that particular uh, segment uh, of the passage. And so um, we, I, want to, I want to go there today with us. Um, if you have your Bibles or your app or pull something up to Luke chapter 8, and, and I'm going to teach from a story. But before we do, I, I want you to see the themes that are in place here. And because as I read through it, I was kind of struck. I'm like, it felt like every day was a little bit of a different theme. And like, usually there's some kind of thematic, you know, movement to it, but it just felt like it was kind of all over the place. Um, So I had to like dial it back and understand what this is saying as a whole. But I I began to see two major themes, and you guys can throw up the first Venn diagram I got for you here. I, I began to see these two major themes. The first is the power and beauty of God's redemptive work. I, I would also add the depth of God's redemptive work. How many knows like God doesn't just save your soul? He, he's, he's, he redeems all of you. <laughs> he, he redeems uh, your relational life. He rede- redeems your financial life, your sexual life. He, he redeems it all, like your whole being, so the full depth of who you are. I began to notice this because at the very beginning, chapter two, is like there's these women who are following Jesus, and they've been healed of all these evil spirits. And like one who you've heard of, probably Mary Magdalene, had been healed of like seven demons that were inside of her, like seven. 
and she's following Jesus now. Like, that's power and beauty of God's redemptive work. Uh, verse 33, God heals this, uh, Jesus heals this, uh, this demon-possessed man, which we're going to talk about. How many of you guys are excited to hear about demon possession today? That's what you woke up thinking, I hope pastor preaches on some demon possession today. Locked in. Um, verse, 48, verse 48, we see where this woman who has been menstruating for over a decade. Come on, can I just get a, just a moan and a groan from the ladies in the house? Like a nonstop flow of blood for over 12 years, over a decade. And that, was, that would be a big deal now. But at that time, like she had drained all of her financial resources to, to get this healed from doctors and physicians and healers. She spent everything she had. And, and not only that, but there were these purity laws that kept her ostracized from the community. And we see this beautiful picture of the depths of God's redemption. That He redeemed her back into community. She was ostracized and he brought her back in a powerful picture. And then at the very end, Jesus raises a dead girl. So it's not only the beauty and depth, but the power of God's redemptive work is like this theme, this major theme that I see through the chapter. And then the other theme that I begin to see, start with the parable of the sower, which is primarily about understanding that we would be soil that, that God sows his word into, like in a moment like this, that we're good soil and we obtain understanding so that we can obey and that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. Uh, and then we see this classic uh, passage I've taught on many times here, which is just so uncomfortable. But Jesus's mom and brothers come to the door. and They're like, hey, Jesus, like people are kind of flipping out with all this miracle stuff you're doing. It's kind of stirring a ruckus up in town. Can you chill? At least I think that's why they were showing up to be like, hey, can you chill it out with the miracles? I don't know really why they were there. But Jesus, um, they say, hey, Jesus, your, your, your family's at the door. And Jesus is like, my mom and my brothers are whoever does the will of God, sort of a backhanded slap in the face to his mom and brothers, but he was also um, establishing the family of God and what the family of God was, those who walk in obedience and in faith to him. And then uh, right before the passage we're going to read, which is the one where he heals the demon-possessed man, right before that, he, he says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And while they're on the lake, this storm rises up and it's crazy. Some of you may know the story. Jesus is sleeping on the boat and they have to wake Jesus up and like, don't ever wake Jesus up when he's sleeping. Apparently, this story tells us, don't ever uh, wake him up. But he, 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 um, he jumps up, and, and actually, he calms the, the waves and the wind, and then he rebukes their faith or lack thereof. And so there's these themes, uh, and then I, I think you see that with the woman uh, with the issue of blood, that her faith had made her whole because she broke through the crowd. And so I see these two major themes, but as I began to look at it, I, there was a couple other passages that I felt like, oh, these don't really fit in, in here as, as tightly, or one particular passage that didn't, and then one that really, I think, ties it all together, which is the demon-possessed one. And it's, I think these two kind of con themes converge into one major theme, not only for uh, the, the gospel of Luke, and I think all these could be said for the entire gospel, but the, a major theme, you guys can throw up the next one here, which is the calling to faithful witness. There's this little blurb that seems so unrelated from everything else, but I think it's a major part of what God is speaking um, uh, in, through Jesus in this moment. Um, and he says this, no one lights a lamp and puts it on a stand and then covers it up. 
No, no one does that. Why would you light it and then cover it up? It, and Jesus says, no one does that. And, and for me, it's, it's a calling to faithful witness that all these healings, all these miraculous, all this redemption that he's done in their life and in our life should not be covered up, but that we should walk in faithful uh, witness. And I think nothing illustrates this in such a potent way than the story of redemption and this man who's called to be a faithful witness beyond his past and beyond what he's gone through to be a faithful witness for God. And so uh, with all that being said, with now that we kind of understand that there's this thematic thing, that's where we're going to come back to. That's where we're going. I'm just telling you where I'm going. Sometimes it's a surprise. Where is he going? I'm telling you. It's the calling to faithful witness is what we're called to out of our redeemed lives um, that he calls us into. And the story, this moment, this moment in history that we will read about today Uh, is a profound one that if God can redeem this man's life, then he can redeem and use ours too. And so if you're in the text or you want to follow along on the screen, that's cool. Uh, Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse 26, and we're going to read to verse 33. We're going to take a break, process that, and then we'll, we'll circle back and finish out this text. It's a little bit longer. So they sailed to the region of uh, the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tomb. So he is naked and he is homeless and he is a little bit off of his rocker. He's living in tombs. Like you'd be a little bit creeped out if this man comes run up to you. Not a little bit, probably a lot of it. Um, but when he saw Jesus, the man cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, um, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to, to go into the abyss. The, the demons are begging Jesus, don't send us to the abyss, which is the land of the dead, because they, they couldn't have an impact. They wanted to be in something living. Uh, and a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And Jesus gave them permission my deep breath, okay? Like, it's, it's an intense story. I mean, if you were just an, uh, like a disciple walking with Jesus and you begin to see this, like, th- that's some news for the What happened in your life today? Well, we went across the river. It's a little stormy. Jesus calmed that all down. But then we got across. There was this naked guy, like crazy out of his mind, like there. It's like, it's a, that's a crazy story in your lifetime, let alone on this day, and, and I, I think we, I want to do a, just a very small kind of brief study on demon possession because I think the English translations really lead us astray oftentimes uh, to understand what this is. I would guess the majority of you have never studied anything like this, have not really tapped uh, much into what the scriptures teach on this, but there's a specific Greek word that I want us to understand here, and it's the word uh, demonizomai, and I think they've got the definition for these, and, and the, the first is demon, that's the Damien or whatever, uh, and then zomai is often where it gets translated possession, and with possession we think ownership. But demon possession isn't about 
ownership. Um, it's really about gaining mastery or power over. It's gaining mastery or, or power over. Uh, when I was in Peru over um, 10 years ago, the first time I went to Peru, uh, we, I remember traveling and we came up on this one plot of land and I learned about something at this time uh, called squatting. Um, not like just squatting, but it's a, it's a term when it comes to land in th- particularly third world countries in which people will just move on to land and they'll squat quote unquote, squat there, and they just say, this is my land. <laughs> they don't have ownership of it, but they just go to the land and like, this is my land. And so there was this one lady in this community, she was a shepherdess, um, like we don't know many shepherds or shepherdess around, but there, there, there was this woman who was a shepherdess. She kind of, you know, they walk the cattle or the, um, the, the sheep all over the place, and she would just go onto random people's property, and she would just squat on it and just stay. And at one point on this particular property that was owned by someone, they wanted her off, and so they couldn't get her off. Every time one guy would go, and she would fight them off. Uh, with a slingshot. She would just like, she was like beast with an old school slingshot and she was fighting these guys off. And so after one guy couldn't, you know, get his property back, then he went and got a few of his buddies like, all right, I need help. Like, let's go get this woman off. And there was like what they said was a dozen men, grown men who went to go get his property back and they couldn't do it because she was, she was so skilled with this, um, with this slingshot. Yeah, insane. Can you imagine this happening to your house? And, um, and, and, and it was so wild that they called her devil woman because they didn't know what else to say. This woman was out of her mind and some had, had some kind of crazy skill with this. And um, and, and so what, what I want you to, to know about this is that it, it doesn't always denote ownership um, uh, because I, I believe across the, 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 the global world that um, everyone was made in the image of God and, and anyone that even is possessed by a demon that God, God can deliver them and he, and he shows that power. And so that's not ownership, uh, particularly for those who are believers, you are owned by Christ. You, you are in with Christ and, and you cannot be owned by the devil. You cannot uh, have uh, mastery by the devil. He cannot control you. Um, and we're going to talk about that a, l- a little more here in a second. I mean, just think about it today. If you were to <clears throat> leave your house today, but you left the door wide open and you went home to find a thief in your home, that thief would not own your home, but that thief would have control over your home, would have mastery over it for the time you're not there and the time that he's not evicted out by the authorities, either you or the police or whatever authorities would, would step in and remove them. They don't own your house, but they're in control or mastery of your house. Um, and, and the same way can happen uh, in, in uh, the life of a non-believer. And I, I believe what Colossians 2.15 says, which I, I won't go to the text today, but you can mark that down, Colossians 2.15 which says that, that Jesus has disarmed and, and, and uh, disabled the powers and authorities of the air, that, that demonic powers do not have power over us. Like, they cannot. Like, evil spirits cannot control us, cannot have mastery over us. We're in Christ, and Jesus has disarmed and dismantled uh, their power, um, and, unless in this moment Jesus releases and, and gives permission, or uh, if a believer leaves the door open. And that's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. So just to summarize what I'm saying here is non-believers can be very much controlled and will continue to be controlled until and if they are confronted by a spiritual authority. So Jesus 
or uh, a spirit-filled believer who can come and, and bring authority over that and say, you have no power in the name of Jesus. I'm freaking some of you guys out, I can tell by the way we're looking, but we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through. So, um, so I'm not going to ask you, raise your hand if I'm freaking out already. But um, and then the, the, second one, the second thing, just in summary, is that believers, we, we cannot be om, but we can be in bondage to sin. Believers, yes, can be in bondage to sin. And when we're slaves to sin, who are we slaves to? Demonic powers. We're, we're giving authority to Satan. We're giving authority to the demonic spirits, and we allow them to control us. We've left the door open. Let, let, me, let me show you how, how uh, in the scriptures, how believers can be in bondage. Romans 8, 31 through 36. Just a real quick study here. Romans 8, um, verses 31 through 36. I think we've got it up there. Do we? I hope we do. No? Okay, awesome. Well, I'll look it up real quick. I was going to go off the screen. That's my bad. All right, Romans 8, 31 through uh, 36. Um, I hope that's right. Nope, it's not right. I, I mislabeled it, and then I didn't give it to you guys. I don't make mistakes like that too often, but I'm making it right now. Thank you, brother. I so appreciate it. I, 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 but uh, Oh, here it is. I've, I've got it in my notes. Um, and I, I've got it labeled wrong somehow. It says Romans 8, 31, 36, but that's incorrect, and I'm having trouble remembering where it's out. Um, but I'll, I'll read it, and I'll find the passage and let you know on it. So it says this, um, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, wait, I do have it. You guys found it. John 8. See, I had Romans 8 for some reason. That was the problem. I was in the wrong book. John chapter 8. That makes so much more sense because Jesus is talking and Jesus doesn't talk in, in Romans in which he's not alive, at least in the flesh anymore. So, hey, thank you for your grace abounding this morning. I don't know if you were quoting scripture or just encouraging me in the Lord, but I appreciate it. I needed it. Um, all right, here we go. We're in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him. So Jesus is talking to converted Jews who are believers in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. This is one of the funniest statements in the New Testament. Then they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that? We shall be set free. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and now a, sin, a slave has no permanent place and the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. This is a major, major statement that helps us understand a bondage to sin that can happen to who? To believers. That we can be in bondage to sin even though we're not possessed. We are giving authority. Even though we have authority in Christ, we're giving authority to the powers uh, of, of darkness. Uh, but the funny part here, if you didn't catch the joke, is that Abraham's descendants are like, we've never been slaves to anyone. And if you've ever read the, the Old Testament, you know that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's not only have they not been slaves to anyone, they've been slaves to everyone. They've been slaves to the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and the Egyptians. And like their whole history is a life of slavery. But they're, it's not that they don't know their history. They're so in denial. 
They're so instant to denial, and nothing will keep you in bondage more than denial that you're in bondage. Like, you can't be free unless you're willing to confess and admit that I, come on, like some of you who have come out of the 12-step program, unless you're willing to admit and confess that you are, are broken and in need of a Savior, and so we can allow that. And the enemy uses very specific tactics to kind of work his way in. One is denial, which is not really in the text here, but that's why I wanted to go to uh, John chapter 8, uh, verses 31 through 36. But uh, there's a few things I want to show you about the tactics of the enemy to work his way in and take control. Even though we can't be controlled, he begins to control us and, and, and force us to unbelief to get us to doubt, to live in fear, to not walk in who God has called us to be. And there's going to be a little bit of a difference here because this man who's demon-possessed is not a believer. And so there's a difference here. And so the first tactic I, I want to mention to you is invitation. Now, what the scripture says is that these spirits had come on him and had seized him by force. And that's, that's a possibility for someone who does not have authority in Christ. They can be seized by force. They have nothing to prevent. They don't know the name of Jesus. They can't protect themselves from that. Can't hold their ground spiritually because their ground is their own, their own righteousness, which is sinking sand and fatally flawed. But so many times the spirits, had, the spirits had seized him, the evil spirits had seized him by force, but that doesn't happen for us. But what happens for us is we leave the door open. We leave an invitation by staying in denial of bondage of sin that we are in. Um, and remember that the enemy has zero power, Colossians 2.15, zero power. Jesus has disarmed and dismantled the powers and authorities at the cross. But we stay in bondage to sin so often simply because we're leaving a seat, an empty seat at the table for the enemy to sit down and begin to fix for us. You say, I've never been in bondage, man. That's not, that's not me. Well, I've never had evil spirits. This is kind of uh, weird stuff for me. I, I, I want to show you here that really uh, the word evil spirits really has to do with impurity. And so it's, it's sin. It's Lifestyle sin, a commitment to sin, we're bondage to sin, repeated sin, uh, premeditated sins in which we're uh, repeating on a regular basis, we're in bondage to it. You say, well, I've never, I've never been in, in bondage to sin. Well, first of all, you're in denial <laughs> or um, you haven't come to know the saving grace of Jesus and, and confess that. And, and we, can, we would love to talk with you and pray with you and meet you right where you're at. That This is always a safe place for people who are seeking, who don't really know any of this stuff, never opened the Bible, this is a safe space for you to grow and, and to find community, to, to walk in it. But so many of us, you know, like we don't think about sins like this, but like jealousy um, is a sin. And, and like we leave a seat at the table by continuing to follow those people on social media. And it's like, you're leaving a seat at the table for the enemy. Like say, well, that's not a bondage of sin. Well, it, it probably is for some people in the room. Or, or, or let's go a little bit deeper, a little more hardcore. And, and for, for some in the room that you say, I'm not in bondage, but you know, you, you watch pornography every once in a while and, and, and you leave this, a seat at the table because you know, uh, you're, you're, you're home alone a lot. And anytime anybody's home alone, then, the, then that's kind of what jumps in and jumps out. And, we're, and we haven't talked to anybody about it. We've got no filters on our, on our devices. There's a seat at the table for sin in our life. You're in bondage of 
fear of dying, like you're afraid and like there's a bondage of fear and heaviness on your life and, and you say, well, that's not sin. No, well, no, but it's, it's bondage. It's bondage that, that, that there's a fear of dying and there's a spirit of heaviness that comes with that, that Jesus doesn't want your life. He wants you to walk in freedom from it. But then we're leaving a seat at the table by, you know, obsessing and, and binge watching how to make a murderer <laughs> and like falling asleep to Law and Order SVU. And like you wonder like why the, the dreams are there and the fear of dying is there. And like we're, we're leaving a seat at the table for bondage. And so invitation, denial is a huge one. Invitation is a major one that we leave the door open to, to be controlled, that he'll scare us into keeping us from what God has for us. The other one we see right here in the text is that the demon would drive this man to isolation. The demon would drive, this is another tactic of the enemy, is to get you in isolation. Isolation is the devil's playground. And there's a major reason for it is because the likelihood of you getting free in isolation is greatly diminished. It's greatly diminished. Because you don't have a brother or sister to say, hey, are you okay? Like, can I pray with you? Like, wait, wait, what's your, how's things going in your life? You don't have a brother or sister to encourage you and be like, you're going to make it. Remember who you are in Christ. You don't have someone around you, but in isolation, it's just me with my thoughts. And that's a dangerous place to be. There's a very, there's a big difference between getting alone with yourself and getting alone with God. And things aren't good when I'm getting alone by myself, but when I get alone with God, miraculous things take place. Hear me? There's, there's a major difference of getting, I'm just going to get by myself. Like, okay. And there's a major difference between, um, season or, or, or rhythms of solitude there's a major difference between rhythms of solitude, which is a spiritual discipline. We see Jesus practice rhythms of solitude. There's a major difference in that and seasons of isolation, which is a tactic of the devil. There's a major difference and we've got to know it. There's a rhythm of solitude that Jesus calls us to, and it's a spiritual discipline, but, but a season of isolation is the devil's playground. And you got to be careful for it because um, he, he's, he's all over it. And so make sure you're not falling into a season of isolation. Uh, and then the third one we see here with this man is uh, Jesus asked the man, ask the demon, what's your name? What's your name? And the man, the demon, sidesteps Jesus' question. And, and even though oftentimes it's capitalized, it's not a name that the devil is, uh, the demon is uh, presenting here. It's actually the third tactic, which is intimidation. He's, he's saying legion, which is like 600 men in an army. And so he's saying a number, even though it was very doubtful that there are 600 spirits or like evil spirits living in this, in this guy. But it, it's, it's an, uh, a tactic to intimidate uh, Jesus in this moment. In fact, to everyone around, there's this ancient <clears throat> um, kind of superstition that, that whoever um, would say the other's name would have power and have control. So he says Jesus' name for, first, but it's just superstition. He's only trying to intimidate Jesus, and this is a tactic of the enemy. To, to, to keep us from all that God has for us, from walking in freedom uh, and it's intimidation. <clears throat> and, and my hope for you in, in your life is that you're able to spot intimidation. And intimidation often comes in the form of lies whispered into your ear. Uh, intimidation or, or lies in the form of these people are just gonna judge you. No, no one really cares about you. 
You're, you're just, you can't beat this. You're just going to be like this the rest of your life. Well, this is just the way things are. There's just, it's just lies and intimidation to keep you from walking forward in what God has for you and freedom in your life. And I, I hope that as you grow and, and mature in the Lord, that you become like Leonard Fournette spiritually and like you know how to give a good stiff arm. And just like that intimidation comes like, no, I know. Yeah, right. Because we know, Colossians 2.15, I've said it three times today, that the powers of the enemy have been disarmed and dismantled, and we have authority, and so we don't have to give in to that. But the reality is that many of us probably in this room are in bondage to sin in some way, but we're in denial, we're leaving a seat at the table, find ourselves in a season of isolation or intimidation, and we too, maybe it's not to the length that you're running around naked, sleeping in tombs, Right? I don't see any of that going on. Praise the Lord, we're not in that situation. But in, in other ways, we would never live ourselves demon-possessed or demon-controlled, but we're being influenced by evil spirits. And, and what we're going to go see here in just a second as we read the text that, that, that the enemy has very dark plans for our lives. And if you're in that place, and, and I would imagine um, that there's many in the room that that might be, First, take responsibility for leaving the door open. You ever left the stove on or left the curling iron on or left the door unlocked and then when you get home, well, who did this? And I'm like, and you're pointing fingers, like it was your fault. No, no, start here. Take responsibility for leaving a seat at the table for the enemy. Stop being in denial. Confess your sin and you can be healed is what James 5.16 tells us. Repentance, which means I'm turning away from that sin. I'm not gonna continue to live in it anymore. It's bondage. So take responsibility, take authority, and take action are really the three things I would tell you what to do if you're finding yourself in, in, in one of these things. You're influenced by demonic spirits and, and evil. Um, and evil's not just like, you know, pitchfork. Like, evil comes in very innocent ways. It's impurity of thought or deed is really what the akathartos, which is the Greek word, what that word means. It means impurity of thought or deed. That's what an evil spirit is. And so when that comes in, we've got to be able to take responsibility, take authority, take action. I want to read through the text here. Let's finish it out, beginning, picking up with verse 33 where we left off. Um, I jumped over to Romans 8, which there's nothing I'm going to, so I'm going back to Luke 8. There's so many 8s today. Um, uh, verse 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, uh, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When uh, those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and left. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town, how much Jesus had done for him. There's a lot that's compelling about this, but I think the linchpin is the turning point that we begin to see that these demons, they asked, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the herd of pigs. And Jesus, 
I think, gladly made the most of that request and gave them permission because he was going to make a, a spectacle, make it so obvious to all watching the devil and the demon's goal in your life, which is what John 10.10 10 says, the thief, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's no other purpose. It's destruction. And we see it by what happens in these pigs the moment they get there is they go right off. They go right off the cliff. Death is what they want, but they didn't want to be in the abyss where they could not function and could not live. They can't uh, function um, uh, there. And so Jesus allowed it, but the story isn't anywhere close to being over because what we see in this man's life is Jesus's great redemption. Jesus's great redemption of this man's past, the great redemption of his very present and the redemption of his future. And I just want to talk about that for just a few moments as we begin to close The first is the redemption of this man's past. Uh, From the moment he gets delivered of these demons, he begins to be known as the man who the demons came out of. Like that's his identity in Christ, if I can put it like his identity in Christ was connected to his testimony. Like it was, it's unequivocally cannot be removed what Jesus had done for him that everyone saw that and began to know he this is the guy and I think so many times uh, we, we want to whitewash the, um, the, the hard drive of our past and God just wants to redeem our past he 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 just wants to to just change it and transform it into something beautiful as a testimony for our lives. And so I, I would just say to you today, if you're just trying to cover up everything in your past and ever, like in a lot of ways, you're a lamp on a stand that's with a bowl on it. Like if you're afraid to tell somebody where you came from, and, and honestly, and I know there's a confidence, there's a time thing in that. Like I just got delivered yesterday from this, or God just saved me in this six months ago, and I, I just don't have a ton of confidence that, and look, there's a process. Like, there's a process where you become more confident in it, but, but I would say take the bowl off and begin to let that light shine, um, and don't be afraid to, to be called the one whom, the, the man whom the demons had gone out of, because it's, it's our story, and it's our testimony, and, and if we can't share that, we, like, we're, we're neutering all of the gospel of what is done in our life, and we can't truly um, tell our story. He, he, he uh, redeems this man's past, like every, or his present, his past and his present. He redeems his present, like everything about this man's life has changed. The, the scripture says that they, the people came back and, and he was dressed, thank you Jesus, and got his tunic on, like get this man a tunic, he just got delivered, get you know, some fig leaves or something, and, and he, he's in his right mind, and he's just sitting at the feet of, feet of Jesus, and the people walk up, and you know what it does for them? They're not like, whoa, God is amazing. They're like, no, 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 no. That's nothing scarier than seeing the supernatural right in front of your face. And I think right now, if like you were in this moment, like that, if you knew that guy before, you'd have trouble kind of buying into the, the new. Like, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't you know, no, this has really happened. But we serve a supernatural God. Like, we do. And like, this journey, this life that he's called us into is supernatural. Like, and he, he can lead us in these moments in which we see things that don't make sense. We see miraculous turnarounds that like don't make sense. And like, I'm a living testimony of those. You're a living testimony of those that 
of what God has done and everything about the depth of God's redemption. It's his mind. It's his body. He's not harming himself anymore. His soul has been redeemed. Like everything's changed. He's not in bondage any longer. And then his future has been redeemed. I think this is one of the most compelling things about this entire passage is the man's future and the two requests that are made of Jesus in this moment, in this passage. Did you, did you catch it? It was kind of weird. It kind of catches me off guard that, that the people of the town make an ignoble or an evil request. Like, Jesus, will you just leave? And Jesus is like, okay. Deuces. And the man's like, Jesus, I just want to go with you. Just let me be with you. And he's like, nope. Like, wait, wait a second. Like, the guy wants to go with you, and you're like, no. And the people are, like, trying to kick you out of town. And, like, you're not just going to be, like, suffering servant. Like, no, we're going to keep doing the gospel here. And, like, he's like, nope, all right. Not received. We're going to move on. And this is so powerful. I think there's a number of reasons why both of them did this. One, I don't think the people could handle this. Uh, I think there's a whole economic portion to this. That's a whole nother sermon of the pigs going off that we'll leave for another day. Um, but for, for this man, why did Jesus say, no, no, you can't come with me? Two reasons, I believe. One is because probably in this guy's mind, there was probably some superstitious belief because they're so superstitious at this time that if I didn't have Jesus with me, the demons were just going to come back. If I wasn't right alongside Jesus, if I, if I couldn't see him and touch him, then I couldn't stay free. And I just want to, like, there's some people who are in bondage to sin right now, have struggled with things in the past, and it's kind of rearing its ugly head and biting back at you. And, and you just feel like, I'm not free unless I'm this. And, and like, I just want you to know who the son has set free. Like, it's, it's just not being a slave to the sin. It's not leaving a seat at the table. It's walking in the freedom that he has for us. And I think the second reason was so purposeful, and it goes back to the main theme of what I said at the very beginning. It was a call to faithful witness. That was, the, that was his mission field. His, his mission field was his hometown. Jesus actually said, you know what? You're actually going to be a better missionary here than I'll ever be, which is a lot, lot for us to comprehend. But that's what Jesus said basically in this moment. He said, I'm, I'm going to leave, but you know what's going to be the greatest testimony is you walking around and they may be uncomfortable with it now, but you just be faithful. You just be faithful. You go back to your town. You go have dinner with your family, and they're going to begin to see the change in you. And at some point, they're just going to be like, wait a second, maybe, maybe this Jesus is who he said he is. And if he can redeem this guy that was outside of his mind, like been running around naked for years and like living in tombs, if he can redeem this guy, what makes him think he can't redeem me? If he can redeem this guy's past, and he, this is what he's known by. Everybody remembers what, what he's gone through. He can redeem my past. He can redeem my present. He can redeem my future. And I know, like, talking about demons a lot today wasn't really what you thought you were walking into, but you say, what's up with that? Maybe that was just then. That's not, that's not now. But I believe it's very much now, because if he can redeem his past, his present, his future, he can redeem ours. I want you to know today that Jesus will not be scared off by your past. He's not going to be intimidated by the complexity of your baggage. He's not going to be uh, intimidated uh, by the bondage that you find yourself in or the struggle to addiction or the struggle with hating yourself or this, like whatever it is, he's not afraid of it. There's something very deep about this story that tells me that Jesus cares about every single person's story even those that are in isolation today. 
Jesus was on the other side of the lake and he said, hey guys, let's go over. This guy had been living in isolation. He just happened to be there at the edge of the lake and Jesus met him in his isolation. It tells me that Jesus wants to redeem every single story and there's no story that's beyond hope. That though we're broken, Jesus redeems and reclaims our brokenness and adds it. If you guys can put our main graphic back up, mosaic. And Jesus adds it, redeems it and reclaims it and adds it to his beautiful testimony. See all those little tiles? Those are tiles of each one of our stories, of our stories of redemption. And God adds it to his beautiful mosaic to tell our, our lives, not just our life story, but our testimony of God's grace and goodness and redemption in our life. That it may be a testimony to his goodness in others' lives. That we can walk this out. I want to challenge you today. Stop living in denial of your bondage. Become a slave of obedience to Christ. Don't leave a seat at the table. And be willing and be faithful to tell God's goodness and his mercy. And know this, that there is no story that's beyond redemption. If it's your story, if it's your neighbor, if it's your sibling, if it's your coworkers, no story is beyond redemption. I want to ask you to stand right now. And just with every head bowed, I'm going to ask two questions real simple today. Um, and, I, and I want to have two specific prayers with you in this moment. Just every eye bowed and say, some of you in this room say, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm battling through some bondage thing. Every eye's closed. It's just between me, you, and the Lord. I just want to know how I can pray for you. Uh, I don't know who I'm praying for today. Say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling through something. I think I've left the door open. I'm in a season of isolation. The enemy's been intimidating me. If, if you fall into one of those three things or I'm in denial, any of those maybe four things, say, I've been kind of caught up in some of those tactics and that's me. Will you just raise your hand and say, I've been intimidated. I've been isolated. Leaving the door open. All right, thank you. Put your hand down. And the second group, and I know this, is, <laughs> this, this pretty much should be everybody in the room, uh, I would imagine, is if right now there's someone in my family, there's someone in my circle of influence that does not believe, this is real simple, that does not believe, does not know, supernatural things scare them, they don't want to hear talk about Jesus, they're not interested, like they're far from God, can we just say it like that? No, Jesus is near to the brokenhearted and he's close to the sinner, but let's, let's just say they're far from God. You can just think of someone right now that you'd like to pray for today in your own way. Can you just raise your hand? There's some people I know it's probably most of us in the house. I hope it's most of us in the house. All right, thank you. I want to pray for these two groups of people this morning. First, God, right now, I just want to pray right now for those in this room that, that we're just realizing, God, we're in some bondage, just some some spirits that we've left doors open on and we just want to shut the door. God, we just, we want to take authority over our spiritual house, over our temple and that we're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be isolated. We're not going to leave the door open through invitation, God. And we're not going to live in denial any longer, God. We're going to take authority. We know that Jesus Christ has disarmed and dismantled the powers of the enemy, God. And we walk in freedom and deliverance, God. And that we're not slaves in the house. We're sons and daughters in the house, God. We're not slaves to sin. We're slave to obedience to Christ, our Father. 
our son, God's spirit. We thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this house walks in freedom this week. We, we're able to just push away every work of intimidation, every tactic of the enemy, and we recognize it quickly and walk in freedom. And the second group, God, today, I want to pray for us today that we all would be faithful to not put a bowl over the flame that you have lit, God, the redemption in our life. God, help us to reflect and tell our story. Help us to give you all glory and praise for the redemption that you've done in our lives, God. But know, God, that you are faithful and you've called us to a life of faithful witness in this city. God, I pray that this is a a game-changing week in which doors are open. God, we have hopeful expectation, like we discussed last week, hopeful expectation that you're going to show up and there's going to be some moments of testimony. There's going to be some moments of, of, of freedom for people this week. And so we're just going to give you praise for those things. God, I pray for family members. I pray for sons and daughters. I pray for neighbors. I pray for moms and dads who don't know you, Jesus. God, we pray for the miraculous power of Jesus to bring home the prodigals, to bring home the prodigals. We love you, Jesus.